Some of the most respectful, sincere, appreciative words of tribute for Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg since her passing just days ago have come from longtime pro-life advocates, which makes others wonder, why do they praise and appreciate her so much since she was an ardent abortion supporter? I'm Sheila Logminas. You're in the Forum. Thomas More Society founder, president, and chief counsel Tom Brecka has reflected on the impact Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg made during her time on the nation's most powerful bench, and he's here to talk about it. Tom, thank you for being here. It's good to have your voice and insights on Justice Ginsburg at this time, especially since you and your law firm had to face the Supreme Court multiple times in long-term litigation involving pro-life advocacy and actions and Justice Ginsburg was so well known for abortion advocacy. So use, yours is a, you have a unique perspective in this. And you've written a very nice tribute because you did have to face her and a couple of really key decisions she ruled on in your favor. Yes, Sheila, she did indeed. And I guess it's uh, especially a unique perspective among some of the pro-life folks. Uh, we've got quite a few uh, criticisms of my speaking favorably about her. And uh, the fact is, uh, I think uh, uh, what I really respect about her uh, and what was distinctive about her is that despite her strong uh, pro-abortion advocacy, she ruled for us uh, decisively twice and was a major factor, I think, in our ultimately winning the case. We were before her uh, three times. Uh, I don't know many other cases that have been before the Supreme Court so many times. In the same case, they charged uh, Joseph Scheidler, a Chicago activist, some uh, call him the father, godfather of pro-life activism. They use the word godfather because they sued him under the racketeering law. And it was a uh, an improper, uh, uh, baseless theory but it took us a good 28 years, <laughs> three trips to the Supreme Court to to knock it out. And she played a very, very pivotal role, I think, in those appeals. She ruled against us the first time, but so did all the other people on the court. Uh, we lost nine to nothing. Uh, somehow we hung in there. There was a big, long trial. We appealed uh, from that trial. Uh, the other side had brought the prior appeal. And uh, Justice Ginsburg uh, played a role on the bench in uh, engineering an eight-to-one victory for us. Uh, then uh, the lower court tried to reinstate uh, the judgment against our clients, so uh, we went up a third time, and they did hear the case, which was uh, something the other side didn't really expect, and uh, she joined a unanimous, a unanimous court. Uh, it was eight to nothing. It would have been nine, but Justice O'Connor had retired uh, after the argument and his replacement, Justice Alito, had not yet been sworn in. So that's what I respect about her is that although she agreed with us very strongly on whether abortion uh, should be uh, upheld and legalized, as the court did in Roe v. Wade, uh, she nonetheless... Uh, uh, stuck to her guns on the merits and rejected the 
use of the racketeering and extortion laws against uh, very strong pro-life advocates. So, so talk about that for people listening who don't know. First of all, the Shidler, it's now V. Shidler. So the National Organization of Women uh, versus Joe Shidler and the racket. That was so long ago that a lot of people don't know anything about it or even how racketeering the RICO charges could be brought against Joe Shidler and his pro-life group for their pro-life advocacy. How that even works in the first place, that it could hold at the first level of of, of, of uh, court hearings, much less getting all the way through the different levels of courts, Tom, up to the Supreme Court. How did that even work? Well, uh, they actually started, Sheila, uh, with an antitrust claim. That's how I got in the case. I'd had an antitrust case that was argued before the high court earlier in my business law career. Uh, and then I was recruited to help uh, the pro-lifers when they were charged with antitrust. Well, then they added racketeering charges, and it's a very convoluted theory, but uh, the basis of it was the claim that blocking access to an abortion clinic as a matter of protest, which of course was what Operation Rescue had done, and they blamed Scheidler for inspiring Operation Rescue, even though it was a young minister, Randall Terry, who really ran that group. Uh, you know, they said that uh, this took away property from the abortion clinics because they lost business uh, when people were blocking access. And they said that uh, it also blocked women wanting abortions from exercising their constitutional right. And they said that was extortion. And then because Operation Rescue operated all over the country, uh, they said there was a pattern of extortion and this is what's typical of racketeers, and uh, the racketeering law was invoked. Well, it was an extortion, of course, and uh, Justice Ginsburg played a key role there because the government uh, under President Bush argued against us. Why? Well, he supported, supposedly they supported the pro-lifers, but the Justice Department wanted a very broad definition of extortion. And uh, we got a lot of support from activists of all kinds of groups, including peace activists and civil rights activists. Indeed, I went down to Atlanta and the Dr. King's group, Southern Christian Leadership Conference, supported us before the high court. Justice Ginsburg asked a very sharp question of the Solicitor General, Ted Olson, the same Ted Olson yeah. who was given credit for winning Bush versus Gore, the, the case that put uh, President Bush II in the White House. She said to him, Mr. Olson, could your theory have been used against the civil rights movement? He had to answer yes to that question. He tried to explain, and she said, no, no, I, I don't need an explanation. Well, that convinced uh, her and we had the so-called liberal wing of the court uh, joining the conservatives at the time, and we won eight to one. Oh. And her question was pivotal. I but salute then, her for that. It, well, you do very well in the tribute. I can understand, and we'll get back to that in a few minutes, 
uh, the reactions, why the pro-life movement, people in it who've worked so hard and fought so long for what, they, what they've gained in helping truly give women a choice in pregnancy help centers and save babies' lives and save women's health and their own physical, mental, emotional, and, uh, and otherwise health for so long, why they would look at your tribute now in the passing of Justice Ginsburg and, and as a lawyer for Joe Scheidler, father, if you will, of the pro-life movement in so many ways, uh, when you've been in court for all these years and decades, Tom Brecca, while you're, why your tribute to her being so glowing, why that caused the pro-life, a lot of people in the pro-life movement to be so upset. We'll get back to that in a moment, but staying on this for the sake of following that thread, I really want people who never heard of this before to learn from it, that it, it, it wound up back in court again. When you say Justice Ginsburg joined an eight one majority in Scheidler two, so you had to go back again and again, right? When the, was it National Organization for Women, or was it also Planned Parenthood who was suing Joe Scheidler? Well, the uh, Planned Parenthood was certainly behind the National Organization for Women, but no, Planned Parenthood was. Uh, we're very much involved with them now, defending David Daleiden, but uh, they were not uh, involved in the NOW case directly only by way of background. And in fact, uh, they worked actively with NOW. We know they were helping. It was a national class action brought by uh, a a small number of abortion providers uh, on behalf of every abortion provider throughout the country. They call it a nationwide class. And indeed, Planned Parenthood was instrumental behind the scenes. And then they showed their hand later in the case in organizing all those other abortion providers. But, you know, why did it have to go back a third time? And that Mm -hmm. is very instructive. Uh, It went back a third time because the judges in the lower court who had ruled against us uh, tried to overrule the Supreme Court. And people don't quite take what I say at face value, but if you studied it, that's precisely what they tried to do. And I contrast Justice Ginsburg with those judges. There were two ladies on the Seventh Circuit. They're still there. One of them was a candidate for the Supreme Court uh, under Justice Obama, or under President Obama, I beg your pardon. And frankly, when we uh, sent word to the White House through intermediaries, of course, about what had been done in the Scheidler case, Uh, In a book uh, by Jeffrey Tubin, the CNN commentator, he wrote that uh, that's what uh, derailed her chance for the Supreme Court. So why is that? Because uh, she acted like a partisan, a political partisan, not like a judge. Judge Ginsburg, Justice Ginsburg, on the other hand, regarded the law, and our case is proof of it, as something different and apart and above politics. And... uh, Some people say everything is politics, but on that score, I think I agree with her. There are principles that govern sometimes and transcend your political biases. This is very true. Oh, I'm sorry, Tom. Well, I just wanted to say, Sheila, that uh, I thought she personified uh, that uh, truth, uh, and I applaud her for it. I think all of us should do that. I think that's the Mm -hmm. kind of objectivity uh, about the law that uh, we're losing track of, as too many of these younger judges, especially 
people say, well, who appointed uh, him or her, as if somehow that would foreordain the result. Well, we like to think, at least us old timers, that there was a body of law above and independent of political preferences. And, and the things we're hearing from the Scalia family now, I've heard from two or three of the sons of Justice Ant the late Justice Antonin Scalia, who famously, of course, had that very enduring, uh, clear through life, friendship, life on the court with, with Scalia with, with Ginsburg, and they were personal friends. And one sometimes can't imagine how that worked when they were such, oh, what, ideological opposites. And certainly on matters like this, uh, life issues. But you say in your tribute, Tom Brecca, Th Thomas More Society founder and president and chief counsel, Tom Brecca is my guest who I'm speaking with about a tribute he wrote about Justice uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and the way he saw her as a jurist on the Supreme Court. And in that tribute, you write, what marks her as a truly legendary jurist is her fidelity to the law, Tom. You, you wrote that. As a body of principles that stands apart from and transcends mere policy preferences and political partisanship. See, is that what upset so many people who reacted to your tribute because they don't see her and others, even on the high court, as setting aside and stepping aside from politics, but becoming of a piece with politics these days, political activism? Well, the nation, of course, is so polarized. Uh, everybody recognizes that, and uh, it's contributed to folks saying this election coming up here is perhaps the most important in the history of the modern history, at least, of the country. Uh, but, you know, I, there, there are some principles, at least, that we share in common, I hope, and I thought uh, she did. And, uh, you know, uh, frankly, it was Ted Olson who argued against us and provoked her question about the civil rights movement. And, uh, you know, uh, one would have thought that uh, President Bush and his Department of Justice would have uh, been on our side. They were on our side on a minor issue in the case, but not on the major issue. And uh, here it was Justice Ginsburg, uh, who was very much uh, a favor, uh, in favor of abortion rights, uh, but uh, someone who came to a rally to our side. And I, I just think people have to realize <laughs> that uh, if the law uh, is to be something special than it is separate and apart from uh, our policy preferences. I hope that people will come to see that on our side of the abortion issue, as well as those on the other side. Uh, and uh, that's, I think, our best hope for uh, prevailing ultimately in this struggle against uh, abortion on demand. I think Roe v. Wade was uh, pretty much in defiance of the same body of legal principles that we invoked and Justice Ginsburg agreed with, uh, you know. So I think that's the way to go. And I hope that other pro-life people will uh, see our way to uh, regard the law as something separate and apart from mere politics. And she she has been written about, Tom, along with other very highly notable names in law, especially those who either have served on the court or clerked for justices who, who self-identify as pro-choice, wanting to defend the so-called right to abortion on demand. 
many, many of them, including Justice Ginsburg, saw Roe v. Wade as wrongly decided law or simply bad law. That Justice Ginsburg called it heavy-handed judicial intervention that was difficult to justify. So did you get that sense from her and being in her in that courtroom in front of her, especially when she handed down her her uh, ruling, their ruling, but her concurrence with that ruling in your favor uh, in the pro-life advocacy of Joe Scheidler and the pro-life people. Did you see it being that way that she's just looking to apply the law, the operative legal principles, as you put it? Well, I, I think exactly uh, that's what she was doing. And uh, she put uh, Solicitor General uh, uh, Olson uh, back on his heels. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. she put to him a question uh, that was definitely calculated <laughs> in support of our view of the case. And uh, the other side, I'm sure, was probably as shocked or maybe more so than I was when that question uh, came from her. She was sitting on the end of the high bench at that point. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I think she was uh, second to the youngest of the appointees at the point at the time. That was what, uh, 2002, a long time ago, 18 years ago. But, uh, you know, uh, her view of abortion rights uh, was that they were uh, uh, something that she favored, but she felt that the pedigree, uh, as uh, the court decided Roe v. Wade was wrong. And she said so, as you pointed out, uh, very outspokenly. She was criticized uh, roundly by the pro-abortion forces for being so candid about it. She, she would have justified abortion on the grounds of equal rights. And yet even on that score, she was... Uh, steadfast and sometimes in disagreement with other pro-abortion folks because uh, she was also criticized even more recently by coming out and saying the Equal Rights Amendment is out of time. It's now too late uh, for mm -hmm. any states to ratify it and bring it into existence. And people criticized her for that. Uh, so she called it the way, you know, as Roberts said, and of course, Chief Justice Roberts is controversial now, given his recent decisions. But uh, as he said, uh, you know, uh, judges are umpires. They call balls and strikes. Well, she, she was an umpire. I don't know if that metaphor is true all this, uh, completely, but uh, she certainly called them the way she saw them. So, um, Tom, at the Thomas More Society, in that, and you say that in your tribute to her, she called the, called, uh, the decisions according to uh, the, the principles, of the operative legal principles, and not according yes. to, to political part partisanship. And you said she, again, in 2006, so you first cited the earlier Scheidler ruling handed down, and then again in 2006 handed down another one that was 9 nothing, and she sided with you again. You write, proving herself faithful to those operative legal principles, uh, despite the fact that she was casting her vote against the National Organization for Woman, Women, another high-profile advocate for the cause of abortion and, as they call it, women's rights. And yet she yes. did so because that's where she saw the law pointing. And yet, so what are you hearing from pro-life people after you, you wrote this tribute? Well, Sheila, I'm not a, I don't read the Facebook comments, but I'm told that many of them are critical. 
And I will take a look at them. And, you know, I would love to meet and discuss with each and every one of the my critics uh, and try and get them to understand that our best hope in getting rid of these bad decisions, and there's an increasing number of them, as well as Roe v. Wade, is, is to find judges who, as uh, Scalia uh, himself uh, was such a strong advocate, who apply the law the way the law is written and not the way they would prefer that it had been written. And I think, frankly, Justice Ginsburg was a person of that stripe. And uh, in that regard, I, I will, we will miss her. And uh, uh, I hope that we get a pro-life replacement for her. Uh, and uh, on the high court, uh, I'm certainly not uh, tolerant or supportive of her stance on abortion rights. Uh, we're very much against that. But uh, the way she ruled in our case was the way we hope other folks will rule in, for example, David Leiden's case, even though they may disagree with uh, his stance that's a very strong pro-life stance. Uh, we need judges like that. We, we do indeed, and it's going to be, if the Kavanaugh hearings were a circus, this is going to get, I can't imagine what word one would put to what this will likely be. We know the process is going to be very ugly. Justice Ginsburg knew that. She has been quoted, Tom, as having said that she wishes she could wave a wand and make things go back to the days when she was confirmed because she was asked a battery of questions as they always are, but she knew which ones she could not and should not answer about forward-looking sort of hypothetical questions. How would you rule in such and such a case? And that's not something to sit there and speculate on ahead of time. And yet she sees how ugly the process is right now. Speaking of which, you've brought up David Daleiden a couple of times just to let anybody know who's not familiar. David Daleiden is the undercover video, video, citizen video maker who brought out those undercover videos of baby body parts from abortion clinics being marketed and sold. And those videos were seen in hearings in the, in the Congress, I think on both the House and Senate side. And yet one wonders why David's in court fighting for his freedom and for his rights because he's got such terrible suits against him. To that point, we have the now candidate for the Vice President of the United States, Kamala Harris. I know this is not Ginsburg, but it's all of a piece, Tom, because there is a, a passing of an era with the, the older justices departing the court and the process in the confirmation hearings getting so ugly and very politically divided that we had not all that long ago, senators sitting up there on the Judiciary Com Confirmation uh, Committee saying that they we shouldn't apply a litmus test. And now they're acknowledging a litmus test will be applied. And that very litmus test is not about anything else but abortion. So what are your thoughts on that? Because Kamala Harris was California Attorney General and very much involved when David Daleiden was sued, and she was very much involved with that. What role has that played in his uh, court hearings? Well, indeed, Kamala Harris uh, was instrumental in, uh, when she was Attorney General of California, uh, of... Uh, precipitating a raid on David's home office where they confiscated his property, including all these recordings. He did have other copies, thankfully, and uh, so there's hope they'll still be published. But, uh, you know, she did this the first time, and then her successor, she then became the 
junior senator from California. Now she's, of course, the vice presidential candidate with Joe Biden. And, uh, you know, her successor, uh, Xavier Becerra in California, then brought charges based on uh, Kamala's design. I mean, she obviously initiated that prosecution. And it was the first time, uh, Sheila, that uh, anybody had who was a, rep- a journalist, and David is a citizen journalist, no question, uh, was prosecuted under the eavesdropping law in California. They charged him with 15 felonies, wow. along with his helper, Sandra Merritt. So I, we're still fighting that battle. We may end up in a long jury trial, maybe next year or the year after, but uh, we're on appeal now from a preliminary ruling. And, you know, this is the kind of case where we need judges who apply the law. And they don't just uh, see this as an abortion case. And if they're pro-abortion, they've got a rule against the defendant. No, no. We want them to look at the eavesdropping law and apply it the way it's written. And And then we'll win. We have a chance at winning. And Tom, on other cases, you've got other cases that that involved in court, even though they involve things like free speech in the Pittsburgh case. Ultimately, they're there because they're in court in the first place because not just the free speech, they're there because it involves an an abortion clinic or pro-life work, um, sidewalk counseling, sidewalk prayer, 40 days for life. Then you've got Chicago's abortion bubble zone law, which, you know, will the United States Supreme Court uh, burst Chicago's abortion bubble zone law is from June of 2019 on the thomasmoresociety.org, your website page. So you've had a number of these cases make it all the way through these court systems related to different aspects of abortion, some of them involving free speech, but they start with abortion clinics, as David Delayden's undercover videos did. So how do you see, Tom, the courts shaping up at the higher level on the federal judiciary and all the way up to the Supreme Court these days with that kind of activism going on? Well, certainly uh, things are controversial now as they've never uh, been in recent memory, at least in the many. I've been practicing law for, my gosh, 50 years. Uh, I'm a little bit up there and maybe uh, over the hill. uh, But, you know, my younger brothers and sisters at the bar fighting all these cases, uh, you know, are facing a, a... a real battleground, and that's why we're just so desperately need a sense uh, that uh, the judges will not uh, rule on their biases on the underlying or background issue, the paramount issue of our time, abortion, but rather on the particular law invoked in a given case. And then we've got a good chance. Uh, we we prevailed ultimately in the Scheidler case. Uh, we had to win twice as they try to take that second uh, Supreme Court victory away from us. But, uh, you know, we hope to have the same uh, success in all these cases. Uh, The eavesdropping law is being uh, twisted uh, because of political considerations. You know, Mm -hmm. Kamala Harris, for example, spoke out in favor of undercover animal rights protesters at the same time that she was engineering this prosecution of David Daleiden. Uh, and that's, we, we want to get away from that, where uh, certainly uh, when you're in court, uh, there ought to be the law, uh, no matter uh, who is subject to the law, you know, no matter what mm-hmm. stripe they are, 
no matter what views they hold, they're entitled to the equal protection of the laws as written. That's where we're praying and hoping uh, that uh, will prevail, that view of legal proceedings. It does seem justice is not as blind as it used to be. Um, Tom, last question. Do you see in the foreseeable future the overturning of Roe v. Wade? Well, my goodness, Sheila, if indeed, uh, you know, what's going to happen now? Uh, Will will President Trump nominate uh, Amy Barrett, the Seventh Circuit uh, mother of uh, seven kids who is is very pro-life uh, and will the Senate uh, vote and confirm her before the election and if they don't will her nomination carry over and if Trump should happen to win the election uh, perhaps uh, ultimately she'll be on the court now will she vote against uh, Roe I don't know that we can predict exactly what she's going to do until we see what the case is Right. And uh, indeed, the law moves slowly. It doesn't move uh, as quickly as uh, decisions are made by political officials. Let's put it that way. So heaven knows. But ultimately, do I think Roe will be overturned? Absolutely. It was an, uh, an aberration uh, based on uh, emanations, uh, etc., not on the text of our fundamental laws and Does it go against our jurisprudence and our history? Oh, yes, it does. So uh, no question, I think we will win this battle ultimately, but uh, I hope it's sooner than later. Well, and again, Tom, as you just said so importantly, it's going to depend on what case the right case has to make its way to the Supreme Court that will challenge in the right way the fundamental um, basics of of Roe in the first place. Because when people talk about stare decisis, about precedent, the importance of precedent not being ever overturned or chipped away at, one only has to look back at many, uh, many cases, but Roe being one, Roe didn't uh, uphold any precedent. It's it set a precedent that wasn't in the Constitution. So it, it has to be the right case, the pro-life case to come before the Supreme Court for them to consider it enough in the right way that they might be able to overturn it, which would then, Tom, we need to remind listeners, would, would put it back in the, the hands of the states. All 50 states yes. would then decide. And we have a ways to go for that. Tom, yes, Rick, Sheila, I know- we do. I know you and your team of attorneys at Thomas More Society are always busy across the, the, the land in the different court levels and systems all the way up to the Supreme Court. We follow that and, and I bring attention to those cases when there's been a ruling or a stay or a whatever, an injunction, you name it, and I get one mm-hmm. of your attorneys on. But this time I wanted to get you on to talk about your tribute and uh, you paid the tribute very well. Thank you, Tom Brecca, for all you do. Well, thank you too, Sheila, for all you do. It's been a pleasure talking with you and always with your attorneys. God bless you and your work. You too, Sheila. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's all for now. This is important information. It's great to spend time with you and share it. And in fact, speaking of that, thanks for tuning in. I ask you to share this link with others and invite them to join us here in the forum.